2: I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
3: Good Monday morning, welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford, who is live in Las Vegas. More on that in a moment. Uh, NVIDIA is kicking off their developer conference as we speak. Shares more than 60% off the 52 week high. Can the company boost that falling stock price? We'll bring you the highlights throughout the hour. Plus a check on iPhone demand and what that might mean for Apple shares. Company planning some price hikes and dealing with some camera bugs. We'll get details on that. And then inflation, of course, top of mind for investors ahead of the Fed decision tomorrow. John, you were in Las Vegas this morning for the grocery shop conference,
2: and that's going to lead to some very special guests today. Uh, Yes, it will. Uh, Tony Hsu uh, is going to join me on stage. We'll have a conversation, as we did actually last year on this very day. Last year, they were announcing alcohol delivery. Since then, Inflation has become an important story, and as we know, margins tend to be pretty narrow in grocery. But DoorDash has managed to continue to grow organically about 20% year-over-year. They got some announcements today that we'll get into new partnerships. Now, they recently kind of undid a partnership with Walmart, which is a huge player in grocery, but they got some more partnerships going on, got some questions about the impact of this economy on the labor force, availability of drivers, which they call dashers, uh, and also some M&A. They just closed Mm -hmm. a deal at the beginning of the summer, a big one, $8 billion all stock. Um, All stock helps in this environment, Dee.
0: Mm -hmm. We've talked about uh, where DoorDash sits in the gig economy space, guys. And when you compare it to an Uber that has got deeper into food delivery over the pandemic, uh, DoorDash has commanded a higher valuation among investors, also better profitability historically. But what's interesting, though, um, when we spoke to Dara Shahi, I think it was last week or the week before, he said that what he's seeing is the shift from retail to services. So you would think That that maybe sets up the ride-sharing part of their business a little better. When you look at how these two stocks have performed quarter to date, Uber is up 55% from a much lower base, of course, but Dash is down nearly 7%. So, Carl, I'm going to be interested in asking Tony what he's seeing in terms of that consumer demand is inflation leading to smaller basket sizes, less orders, also the exclusivity of their partnerships. John, remember, when DoorDash was getting started, there was a lot of exclusive deals. That, the era of that seems to be firmly over, as you know, the restaurant retailers can go on any platform, and they often do.
2: Yeah. Um- Interesting dynamic here, Carl, is also in not just basket sizes from individual locations, but the extent to which DoorDash can uh, kind of bring that consumer who perhaps was just in restaurants over into grocery, over into convenience. Last year, also here at Grocery Shop, they were talking about Double Dash with Albertsons. Albertsons, of course, a big grocery player, Double dashes the idea, hey, you ordered something maybe take out from a restaurant, would you like some groceries with that? Would you like uh, perhaps some prepared foods with that? So th- that's going to be important for margins, right? How much can you allow these dashers to do in one run that also increases their take home, which has become quite an issue on social lately, Carl, on TikTok, there's some dashers who are upset if people don't tip the right amount. Your order might end up in a tree. <laughs> uh, John, there's
3: so many places you can take this today. We can't wait. Uh, a lot of good information over the next 60 minutes. Speaking of price, uh, you've got Peloton introducing this connected rowing machine, Peloton Row, a list price of more than three grand as CEO Barry McCarthy tries to execute this turnaround plan. I think, D that does include delivery and setup, uh, but $31.95 is not cheap.
0: That price tag is eye-popping. I am um, a rower, not an avid rower, but I do think it's a great low-impact workout. What's wrong with the concept too, John? I don't know if, if you also dabble in this, um, but this is a rower that's been around for decades, does the job. The space, again, the complaint I'm hearing about this rower from peloton similar to the treadmill it takes up so much space when you store it it has to be latched in um and plus i thought you know barry mccarthy was done with this i thought he was going to a software model this feels um like they could get into the same kind of issues with supply chain with delivery we'll see though maybe this this was in production for a very long time maybe they had to get it out
2: they got to have hardware. I mean, software, it's nice to talk about that, but if you're just dealing with software and workouts and services, then you're just in the mix with everybody else, you know, who can get a good personal trainer. On video, and, and you're competing directly with Amazon and Google and Apple and, and the others who don't have that hardware advantage. So whatever McCarthy says, they, they got to have premium hardware as what makes the sticky, reduces churn, and gives yeah. them that margin. But as for you not being an avid rower, D, I don't know. You're avid as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, some things you can dabble in. You can, like, jog around the block and say, oh, I run. But rowing, man, that's painful. You either do it or you don't. And you do it. So I'm, I'm going to call like, you an avid rower. I'm gonna listen That to you is a on this great one.
0: point. It is not a mainstream exercise. I try to get people to come row with me. There's other apps you can do this on, um, and they are few and far between, so fair. Uh, meanwhile, guys, we are awaiting the Fed, and as a potential rate hike looms, our next guest is long on retailers like Walmart and Amazon, commodity-linked stocks, and even sports betting names like DraftKings. And joining us now is Satori Fund founder Dan Niles. Uh, Dan, how are you positioning yourself ahead of the Fed meeting, you actually think that it could set us up for a brief rally.
4: Yeah. Uh, to be clear, I have no idea how the market's going to react to the Fed meeting. Um, we, what we did was we took advantage of the 1.2 put-to-call ratio on Friday. If you remember, FedEx pre-announced one of the ugliest pre-announcements I can remember. Um, <laughs> you know, missed EPS by 33%. Guided EPS lower by almost 50% for the following quarter, um, and Dow transports below the June low. So, we used some of that in the lower open yesterday to cover some of our shorts. We were net short. Um, you know, looking at the Fed meeting, my bias would be if the market actually goes lower because I think Jerome Powell is going to channel more of his, you know, uh, mojo from Jackson Hole, where he was pretty direct, gave you no reason to be optimistic. And I think the data they're going to give you gives you no reason to be optimistic. But, you know, people want to believe that the Fed's going to pivot. If you look at the futures markets, they actually have the Fed cutting again in June, uh, June quarter of next year. Um, and I just think there's zero chance of that happening. So we'll see how the market takes that Some of this is going to depend on what happens between now and when the decision actually comes out.
0: Right. And Dan, you've been very good this year at calling a bear market rally. So to be clear, your thesis is still intact that we could hit new lows here. Um, you point to FedEx, which took markets by surprise or a little bit off guard last week. But since then, there's been some maybe not positive, but less dire commentary from CEOs like Intuit, Home Depot, even Marriott. How do you square those?
4: Well, I think you've actually touched upon it on in your earlier segment where there's this shift going on from goods to services. so if you supply goods, those really spiked during the pandemic because you couldn't go out to restaurants, you weren't doing ride sharing, you weren't in Las Vegas like John is right now. you know you're stuck at home on your peloton bike, so um, I think now what you're seeing is people going out to hotels like Marriott, they're doing ride sharing to their favorite vacation spots so The things that we have set up in our portfolio, again, remember, we think the market's going to be down 30 to 50% from peak to trough, our single point estimate on the S&P is 3,000. So with that in mind, we're more focused on our shorts because we think that's where we're going to make the profits. We're up for the year, we're up for the month, but that's being driven by our short book, not our long book, which in general is down, obviously. So that's kind of how we're pairing this. Uh, right now, and that's kind of how we see this going forward, where we're trying to avoid PCs, smartphones on the good side, but on the services side, we've got things like actually Uber in there, um, and we've got, you know, online sports betting in there, again, services-related defensives like Walmart, and some healthcare in there, and commodities, and we're short things like Hmm. internet advertising, goods, and, and enterprise software.
2: So Dan, uh, hello from Vegas. Um, you know Q4 though, which we're heading into. It, yeah, in, in just about 10 plus days, that's a big goods quarter. Like you can't you can't do Q4 well and just have services. So give me your sort of sense of the narrative. I, I think about Target, Walmart, FedEx. Right. Each was a big headline that the market had a big reaction to, and then sort of tried to shrug off. Target uh, seemed to be more about inventories. Walmart was about the the working class consumer. FedEx about goods overall. Is there a, a creeping narrative here that investors should pay attention to or no?
4: You're absolutely right. And creeping is the right word because these things don't get sorted out in a day. So the Fed raising rates, 75 basis points on Wednesday, That's going to have an impact six months, a year from now, because the Fed, by the way, isn't done. They're going to raise rates again in November and December. And so there is this creeping narrative where you're switching from goods to services, and that's going to take a while to play out. People are going to be on vacation. They're going to be in Vegas like you are. Um, They weren't doing that two, three years ago. Um, And so that switch, it's going to take a while to work its way through, and also, right now, the low and mid-end consumers, the one that's feeling the pain. The high-end consumer, they're doing just fine. But I think you're gonna see some of this creep, to use your word, into the higher-end consumers. And we'll have to see how that plays out in the biggest goods quarter of all, which is Christmas, right, the fourth quarter. And I think you're really gonna see that shift show up then. And you know, we'll have to see how, how demand looks at that point in time. I don't think it's going to be very good for goods, but I think for services, I think it's going to be great. Um, You know, we're going to have our best vacation in three years probably coming up uh, this Christmas. But that, you know, means that we're probably not going to be sitting there streaming Netflix, sitting on a Peloton bike, you know, ordering, uh, you know, off of Amazon. We're going to be at a restaurant, hopefully skiing, you know, in a hotel, et cetera. And that's a very different spending pattern than the last two, three years.
3: Right. So does that mean, Dan, uh, you don't mind chasing cruise lines and casinos and airlines and hotels at this point?
4: You know, that's a really great point, Carl, because each one of those sectors has got different things you got to think about. Right. With cruise lines, you've got a lot of debt. I mean, to be completely clear, we got murdered in those names earlier this year by getting involved way too early. Um, But the good news is we had a lot of shorts that helped offset that. Um, so right now, we're not looking so much at cruise lines, but we're looking at you know, services like Uber. We're looking at stuff like sports betting. Um, we do own bookings. Uh, so, again, in the travel space, we're trying to look at better balance sheets, which is leaving out cruise lines, which was stupid on our part earlier this year um, because they don't have good balance sheets. Um, but we're trying to, again, sort of stick with that services piece of it. But we're matching that up against shorts. So we're short a lot of internet ad-related names. We think you know, Netflix and Disney launching ad-related streaming services, that's gonna suck out a lot of demand for other internet ad-driven businesses. And so every long we put on, we try to find a short in a related area that we can put against it. Because in a market that we think still has a long way to go, we see it undercutting the lows in June, being down to S&P 3000. You want to focus on your shorts more than your yep. longs, because that's how you're going to make money. Or if you can't do that, be in cash. That's what yeah, we've been saying. I was, all
0: I was going to say, Dan, that's what you've been saying all year for the average investor that doesn't necessarily day trade, stick to cash. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Dan, i talk to you again soon.
4: Thanks, guys.
2: Amazon scoring a touchdown with Thursday Night Football, it says in an internal memo, Prime Video VP Jay Marine telling colleagues that the broadcast was the most watched night of primetime in the history of the service, and that the broadcast fueled the most ever Prime signups over a three-hour period. While Nielsen hasn't released official numbers yet, Deadline reports that Amazon told media buyers earlier this year it anticipated roughly 12.5 million viewers per game that's less than Fox's weekly audience during its last full season of this uh, of Thursday Night Football in 2021. Um, Carl, I, I, I guess success for Amazon measured differently, right, than success for your average broadcaster. You can talk about the number of prime signups over a three-hour period. Uh, yeah, although, I don't know, man, the Cowboys game for
3: CBS, John, 27.8. 4 million viewers. That's the most watched NFL on CBS national game in three years and the best week two uh, in about 22 years. So the uh, the, the league strength is pretty in- incredible uh, this early into the season. Coming up after the break, guys, uh, the CEO of DoorDash, of course, is with John. TechCheck is just getting started. Let's get a gut check on Western Digital today. Shares under pressure as Deutsche takes the stock down to hold, cuts the price target to $40 a share. The firm says Western Digital's recovery uh, remains uncertain thanks to, to deteriorating demand. Revenue and EPS likely tracking below the low end of guidance. While they don't see significant downside ahead, they do believe shares are going to be range-bound and recommend investors move to the sidelines at least until the supply-demand balance returns. Stocks down more than
2: 40% on the year. John? Yeah, let's turn to DoorDash now, Carl. Uh, Consumer pressures, inflation, rising food costs, all big topics here at Grocery Shop in Las Vegas. But DoorDash is here announcing new partnerships across grocery, convenience, and broader retail, including Sprouts, Big Lots, and Dick's Sporting Goods. Joining us now in a CNBC exclusive, ahead of our conversation on stage here this afternoon, DoorDash co-founder and CEO Tony Hsu. Tony. Again, first of all, happy birthday. Thank you. We did this on the exact same day a year ago, so I got your groceries for your birthday. I Uh, appreciate it. It's (laughs) always nice to spend my birthday with good company. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. So I want to start off talking about these deals, right? Because you're announcing these just after I, I believe you guys announced that the Walmart deal, like that partnership is going away. What's the strategic imperative that makes this good for obviously DoorDash, but also these new partners?
6: Well, as you know, I mean, it's a tough macro environment out there right now. And it's all about incremental growth as a way to get out of you know the current situation, I mean certainly it's very difficult to just save your way you know through some of these inflationary pressures. You also have to keep growing so that you can keep recouping some of the costs and investments that you've made, and that's exactly what these deals are, are about. You know we're the largest local commerce platform in the United States with over 25 million monthly active users who shop more often than on any other platform. And so you know with these deals with Sprouts Farmers Markets or Rayleigh's or Giant Eagle. And on top of the deals we have, Dollar General, BJ's Wholesale Club, we're offering more Americans more affordable choices as well as more selection than ever before. What's happening? As inflation has
2: run pretty hot since the last time we talked, you talked about uh, on the one hand uh, consumers spending more on food, which would be good for you, but I imagine that also consumers are more price sensitive about actually paying for delivery and, and are going into the store more so well, you 've had some strong you know twenty percent year over year growth, but have you seen a change in the mix and a change in consumer habits if that 's going to continue
6: it 's been a net neutral you know story for us on the one hand, as you mentioned there are slightly higher prices per item but on the other hand consumers are buying fewer items per cart and therefore you know that mix is washing out but the consumer demand has been very resilient you know in the last sixty years we've only seen two years in that history in which spend on restaurants and grocery have declined ever in the u s economy and so what we see is that continued resilience as people are still going back out and, you know, enjoying finally time away from home. They're still ordering in. Mm-hmm. And those two use cases are still very, very complementary. What's
2: the labor force impact for DoorDash? Uh, Dara Khashoggi from Uber a few days ago, I believe, was saying that he's seeing some inflation impact where drivers actually want to drive more. So on the supply side of drivers, he's seeing some benefit because people want to earn extra money. Uh, what are you seeing from Doordash's perspective? Has the supply of drivers improved? And then at the same time, they seem to want to get tipped.
6: We're seeing we're seeing um, actually very, very strong demand from dashers all across the country with more than three million dashers you know every quarter that come in to you know deliver on the platform we see people coming in from all industries again i mean this is really a complimentary part-time kind of offering where you know the average dasher works fewer than four hours a week you know uh, um, and and ninety percent of dashers are delivering fewer than ten hours a week and so when you have that kind of flexibility wherever you can where you can deliver wherever you want whenever you want you really attract you know their workforce especially for times like this where you know people can use that extra dollar at unexpected times you said 4 didn't you say
2: 6 a year ago has that has that changed and also, it's always been 4 it's always been 4 okay the average always been have four. you seen that these TikTok and I know this isn't necessarily the the broader macro story of what's happening uh with Dashers but there's this TikTok thing out about a driver a, a door, da- a Dasher who left an order in a tree because he wasn't tipped enough like is that kind of indicative of hey you know the the labor force you know pay is tight people Dashers want to get paid and uh you know they're sort of demanding that from people who order
6: well look i mean DoorDash has to only has to work if it works it can only work if it works for everyone across the board It has to work for dashers. It has to work for merchants. It has to work for consumers I mean dashers are earning pretty much close to all-time highs around you know $25 an hour um, when they're delivering and so as a result I think you're actually seeing pretty healthy activity. We're seeing you know still very very fast delivery times around 31 32 minutes Which is you know close to our all-time you know fast uh, fastest deliveries even in spite of I think you know some of the return of that demand coming in through the seasonal moments where you have the NFL coming back, you have the NBA coming, you, you know, soon and some of the weather turning. Dee?
0: Hey, Tony, it's Dee. Good to see you. You said to John just a moment ago the Good consumer you, demand has remained resilient, but earlier this year when you guys were reporting Q2 earnings, you said you anticipated a softer consumer spending environment in the second half of that year. Is that not playing out or are there different ways in which that's playing out?
6: Well, whenever you're heading into a macro environment that has lots of uncertainty and you're seeing, you know, this the rise and stickiness of inflation, you certainly want to take a conservative stance. And and that's what, you know, we've always, you know, done, especially uh, since the beginning of 2020 uh, when the pandemic really struck. And so what we're doing about it at DoorDash is really, you know, offering more and more affordable selection. You know, as mentioned, we've been partners with places like Dollar General, Big Lots, which launched recently, BJ's Wholesale Club, giving more choice at more affordable prices to consumers and where we've doubled now um, the number of stores we deliver from over 75,000 more than any other platform in North America. And we're also offering more affordable products, mm. whether that's Dash Pass, the leading local commerce membership program, or Double Dash, where you can get t- deliveries from two different stores for the price of one delivery fee.
0: So then, Tony, um, that shift to sort of more sensitive price points, lower priced products, is that helping then? Was that stance too conservative? Have you seen any decrease in demand or is it holding up better than you thought?
6: Well, we're seeing, you know, pretty strong resilience still. I mean, and and as, you know, we indicated in our Q2 um, shareholder letter, as well as the results. I mean, what you're seeing is people are the order rates from all of the cohorts, whether they join, you know, during the pandemic, before the pandemic, or I guess in the time now, as we are getting, quote unquote, out of the pandemic, are all relatively similar. What you're just seeing is you know mixed um, behavior, where you have higher prices, slightly lower items per basket, but overall net net, the consumer seems pretty resilient.
2: Tony, now tell me about international. You guys closed the uh, acquisition of Walt uh, in June, and it was, it was around eight billion dollars in stock. Those stocks have been moving around. Uh, your stock has been moving yeah, it was around. Yeah, it's a as percentage well, of so our market. A cap, percentage yeah. of your market cap. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Still, big, big purchase there. What's happening internationally? Are the trends similar? Are your goals different, right? In in mix uh, and in activity on the platform.
6: Well, when we announced the Volt you know, partnership, what we saw was a massive runway in front of their markets, as well as just a team that has built a best-in-class product to really go and get after you know that runway. I mean. Volt really doubled the population that we address and now adds us to over 27 countries um, uh, you know, globally. And you know, they have a product that has the best in class order retention as well as spend retention, which really gives us the foundation to invest behind that. And I think even though we do have some you know challenging macro environment headwinds, it's still, you know, it, we still see a lot of places ready for investment.
2: And I, I should have said volt, not Wool, because it's that W, it's European, it's the W you pronounce as a V. Um, we've been talking about MA in this environment. Uh, investors in the short term, perhaps more skittish about it, but the importance for some companies that are growing and using m and to fuel growth. How are you balancing um, investor appetite for, for growing margins and the path to profitability against opportunities you see to make purchases that are going to continue your momentum?
6: So our Equation at DoorDash has always been about maximizing total long-term profit dollars. So organically, what that means is we have to make sure that our investments are, you know, the right amount for the right stage of, the, of, of that project. If it's late stage where we understand the economics very, very well, of course we're going to, ma- you know, manage a bit more towards, you know, the profitability profile. Whereas, you know, something much earlier stage, we're much more looking towards product market fit metrics. On the inorganic side, we have a very, very high bar for M&A. It has to be related to something that obviously expands, you know, the business um, profile that we currently carry. But as importantly, it has to really be a team that sees very eye to eye with us in terms of how we want to invest, you know, for the long run. And do we invest, you know, similarly, you know, through all the ups and downs as great operators?
2: And finally, Tony, you and I have talked in the past about how some employees, tech employees, become pretty mercenary about their approach to uh, working for a company, be here for a couple years or maybe even less and then planning to move on to somewhere else. As the labor market perhaps slows down, as the Fed hikes interest rates, trying to slow down the economy, are you seeing a shift at all in the mindset of employees who are interviewing and perhaps you're onboarding at DoorDash?
6: We are seeing less chatter about, you know, compensation topics in general. But what I would say, as you know, as you mentioned, that might be a reflection of current market dynamics, which is, you know, changing fairly quickly. What I w- but for me, and in terms of the team at DoorDash, it's always been about, been about understanding you know, what is the long-term story for DoorDash. And that's really being the local commerce you know, player globally. No one's achieved that yet. We feel like we have a great opportunity at you know, winning that moniker one day. But it's you know, very, very early stages, and we're hoping to attract people who are attracted by that long-term mission. All
2: right. Looking forward to talking more about that a little later today. Tony Hsu, co-founder and CEO of DoorDash. Thank you. Thanks, John.
0: And as he was uh, speaking, John, that stock actually is up now, six-tenths of a percent. It was negative earlier on in the session. After the break, Apple battling a strong dollar with App Store price hikes, plus bug fixes for the iPhone 14. That's next.
3: Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fortin, Deirdre Bosa. The Dow is down a little bit more than 300 points. In a moment, we'll have more on how you might play Apple here in the wake of the iPhone. Stock's about flat over the last two months after a big run. We'll talk demand and price mix. But first, let's get a news update with Christina Partsinevolos. Hi, Christina. Hi,
7: Hi, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. Housing starts were up big in August, even as mortgage rates rose. However, housing starts are still down slightly over the last year and building permits sank about 10 percent during August. New York City is lifting its COVID vaccination mandate for private workers. The change goes into effect on November 1st. City employees will still be required to get their shots. UK Prime Minister Liz Truss says a free trade deal with the United States won't even be negotiated for years to come. Her predecessors Boris Johnson and Theresa May both said free trade with the United States would be one of Brexit's key benefits. And Chief Operating Officer of Beyond Meat Doug Ramsey has been arrested for allegedly biting a man's nose. Police say it happened this weekend after a University of Arkansas football game. After a car made contact with Ramsey's vehicle, Ramsey was charged with terroristic, threatening and third degree battery. Ramsey and Beyond Meat have not responded to CNBC's request for comment. Carl?
3: Christina, thanks very much. Uh, Two weeks now since uh, Apple unveiled the iPhone 14 models and investors, analysts, all trying to gauge what demand is like. Lead times online remain a bit elevated, and it does seem like the high-end, more expensive pro models are more in demand. Let's dive in with Morgan Stanley's uh, Apple analyst, Eric Woodring. Eric, welcome back. It's great to see you again. Are are lead times really instructive at this stage?
1: Hey, Carl. Thank you for uh, having me on this morning. So, They are instructive. Again, we're looking for as many early data points on demand as possible. And something we can all do is is track lead times. Again, the time between uh, uh, ordering a phone and and getting that phone delivered. Um, And the answer is they are are elevated right now. iPhone uh, 14 Pro Max lead times are almost 45 days. Um, iPhone 14 Pro lead times are almost 37 days. Um, Both of those are records um, across all models launched in the last 6 years at this point in the cycle and so there's a lot to go i don't want us to get over our skis but as we evaluate these early demand data points yes lead times are uh, are very instructive and they are much better than expected i would say so far
3: right if you if you extract the uh, the the emphasis on the Pro, which we mentioned uh, is getting quite a bit of a a play. What does that suggest about overall demand in this cycle?
1: Yeah, so right now what we're trying to balance is uh, the strength of the Pro and the Pro Max versus um, relative weakness uh, of the iPhone 14 SKU. And what we've determined so far is that the strength at the high end is more than offsetting perhaps some, uh, some weaker demand at the low end. Uh, we've heard about some rumors of increasing iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max builds. Ultimately what we do is we rely on a lot of our supply chain team to help us give insights into uh, what assemblers are looking at. And right now we actually see upside to our iPhone unit forecast in the December quarter. Again, speaking to the strength of the Pro and the Pro Max, more than offsetting any perceived weakness uh, from some of the lower-end models that perhaps didn't get the significant upgrades that the Pro and the Pro Max models did.
0: So, Eric, it sounds like there could be an imbalance here between the higher-end Pro models and the regular models. What does that mean for Apple, for its inventory, supply chain, holiday sales?
1: Yeah, I think most importantly, uh, it it shows you that they can uh, raise prices Um, through mid-shift, right? And so we have iPhone prices up about 5% year-over-year in fiscal 23. We assume about 52% of iPhone new model mix are the Pro and the Pro Max models. Right now, builds are trending to be roughly 57% of mix. And so even if we forecast growth and pricing for the next year, actually, I I would argue that you could even have incrementally stronger prices just given the makeshift that we're seeing to the Pro and the Pro Max. Again, I, I do want to caution it is early. Uh, you know, the phone just were available last Friday. But again, every data point that we can collect thus far uh, is relatively positive, with the one caveat that I would love to see more data coming out of the likes of Japan or the Eurozone, both areas where Apple has raised prices significantly to offset um, some of the currency impact. Uh, I'd love to get better insight into how those regions are performing early on. But overall, um, again, the number one read through on stronger uh, makeshift to the high end is stronger prices, um, price and growth year over year.
2: And also, Eric, I mean, this might be one of the most brilliant stealth price increases that I've seen (laughs) in consumer electronics because Apple eliminated the Mini at the low end, so the entry point for the 14 is higher. They introduced the 14+, Plus, so there's a little bit more to get there, and they kept the old chip in the 14, so the margin should be higher. But I guess the question is overall on margins, do you have any sense that Apple's gonna be supply constrained in the 14 Pro and Pro Max models to a degree that wouldn't allow them to take full advantage of the demand on the high end?
1: It doesn't look like that's the case right now. We, We do see that Apple is working with its assembly partners to reconfigure some of the assembly lines away from the iPhone 14 to the Pro and the Pro Max. So as of right now, again, lead times show us that they are ramping supply to meet what is very strong initial demand, but nothing on our end suggests that there are supply constraints that'll ultimately impact getting those devices in the hands of of consumers either now or as we move closer to the all important
5: holiday period.
3: Uh, pretty interesting, Eric. Uh, we look forward to chatting again, maybe about the watch, uh, which <laughs> certainly got the lion's share of the marketing push a couple of weeks ago. Great
2: to see you. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank Eric you, Woodring. Yep. After the break, one firm downgrading PayPal. Stock already losing half its value this year. Plus, don't miss CNBC's Delivering Alpha, returning in person on September 28th. Scan the QR code. To register, I'm gonna talk slowly for a moment so you have time to get your phone out. We'll be right back.
0: Let's get a gut check on PayPal, the fintech firm falling more than two and a half percent this morning after a downgrade from Susquana to neutral, lowering its price target by 15 bucks a share. Um, the analyst pointing to Braintree here. The one-click client PayPal acquired in 2013 is projected to contribute 72% of the company's overall growth next year. However, the service also has higher transaction costs and lower yields than the rest of the company's core products. The potential drag on overall results, coupled with the fact that the company is up roughly 30% off of its July lows, prompting the call to investors to stay put. It is very interesting that Braintree is cited here. That was an acquisition a long time ago that also brought the company Venmo and really revived it. But of course, this is the take rate. There is lower, higher transactional expenses. Um, just when PayPal was looking kind of good again, jury's out on whether this is a value stock or can be a growth name again, Carl.
3: Yeah, there's a bit of a push and pull. Uh, Ray J actually upgraded uh, last week and we got the downgrade today we'll watch paypal coming up next the highlights from NVIDIA's developer conference which kicked off at the top of the hour got some news on a gaming chip when tech check comes right back
0: Software is under pressure yet again, taking a hit along with the broader market after that climb higher in August. Bessemer Venture Partners' emerging cloud index now down more than 40% since January. Adobe, of course, driving that index lower after the stock sank on its Figma deal. So, how should investors be navigating the space? we will here to discuss in person, Bessemer Venture Partners, Elliot Robinson. Elliot, thank you for navigating the Dreamforce traffic to get <laughs> here in person at One Market. Um, let's start with Figma. What does the Adobe acquisition um, say or not say about the M&A market?
8: Sure, I think it says a couple of things. One, it talks about the power of the cloud and collaborative software model. For more than a decade now, Adobe had this kind of fixed chokehold on the entire design market, particularly in the enterprise. What we're seeing now, companies like Figma, companies like Canva, they're going the collaborative approach, really leveraging the cloud to say the citizen developer and the citizen designer, that's really where the future of the design software market is. And I think Adobe saw you know, a little bit of a existential risk to their business model, their pricing model, yeah. and their relationship with users.
0: That risk has not um, has been well-telegraphed by the street. These Correct. series of downgrades, they all mention one thing, competitive landscape. You mentioned the name Canva. Yes. Does this acquisition of Figma reinstate the Adobe case, um, make it more competitive against the likes of Canva, or do you think that that's still going to be playing out?
8: Yeah, I mean, we're going to see this play out over the next two, five, ten years. But what I can say about Canva is last week, uh, they had their big user conference where they debuted a bunch of new tools. And the Canva visual work suite, that's really what everyone's excited about right now. It's a mix of uh, collaborative word processing, great video editing tools that they didn't have before, and also a new workboard where it's all about collaboration. Everything from the first idea of design all the way throughout, and then you can reverse engineer all of that into the collaborative word processor. So I'm really excited yeah, about where the product about is going. <laughs> of course, I'm a Canva fan, but I'm also a fan of Figma, and I think the design space overall has a lot of room. Are you a to fan write. of
0: Adobe? That's the one name you didn't mention there.
8: <laughs> Look, I, I think the, the most interesting thing about both Figma and Canva is they've got an awesome relationship with their user base and their end customer. I think Adobe didn't necessarily do the same way of evangelizing themselves with the community. So it'll be interesting to see how do you take a bottoms up freemium community and Sigma or Canva, and then in Adobe's case, how do you blend the two, yeah. where you know typically they had it installed on your computer, it was a big annual license, a bit pricey, and then match that with folks that are used to a freemium and then a paid tier yeah. as they want to get more out Great of the platform. Question.
2: Elliot, I wonder, I want to take you in two directions, (laughs) if I might. First of all, I'm hearing a lot of chatter questions about whether this Adobe Figma acquisition is even going to go through because of the Biden administration's kind of muscular antitrust stance. Uh, And is that good for Canva? Or not, because on the one hand, you might think, oh, well, Canva's, you know, a smaller design player. You don't want Adobe getting too big. But on the other, boy, it sure helps their valuation if there's a sense that M&A can happen in this market. Do you think this deal should go through?
1: Yeah, I think the
8: current regulatory environment and antitrust is obviously something we're all going to watch play out uh, as this deal tries to complete into next year. But I think for Canva, they've just got to run their own race. Like I said before, great user base. Uh, a bunch of really power users and influencers that love Canva and where it's going. And when I think about you know, some of the greatest M&A cases over the last decade, particularly in cloud software, not all of them have worked out. It's gonna be a big question mark around, can you take this freemium model and then put it with this kind of annual force licensing pricing model? So I think for Canva, they're gonna run their own race. Melanie, Cliff and the team are really focused on the future and they're customer obsessed. And that's the same type of thing that brought success to Figma. So I'm going to see them both play it out over the next year or two.
3: Hey, Elliot, you know, um, Street is, is struggling to sort of ferret out what the headline might be out of Dreamforce this week. Yeah. I mean, can we can we think about what, what I mean? I know I think it was Bernstein yesterday said it might be a non-event uh, to the extent that it is uh, a non-event. What, what news might come out of it, do you think?
8: Sure. So I'll open with one thing that's a bit personal. For those of us that live and work in San Francisco, it took me 40 minutes to get here this morning, which is great. (laughs) That means it's really busy. We've got 40,000 visitors in the city and really for the downtown core where Salesforce is, it's great for the local community, the workers, the small business owners, the restaurants. Now switching to what we expect, there's three things that I'm looking for. One is product. You know, Brett Taylor talked about uh, Genie as their new product they're going to put in the marketing cloud as well as a service cloud, sales cloud over time. That's always exciting. That's what these conferences are about. But the two other things in terms of the market, one is tone. In 2020 and 2021, you know, we had this pull forward of cloud software really driven by pandemic and remote work, TBD on how they present the future going forward. And then the performance outlook is the third thing I think everyone's gonna look for. Uh, Last year, they announced this goal of 50 billion of subscription revenue in fiscal 25. TBD, given the latest earnings report where they kind of revised down forward outlook. So I want to see how those three things go: Does, uh, the, the product and the new Genie uh, launch, you know, the tone that they set in the marketplace, and then forward performance outlook.
0: Yeah, will be really key going forward, Elliot. And you're telling me I should leave our LA. I'm going to hit traffic <laughs> yes, on the way home. Yes, definitely, definitely. Thanks for being with us in person, Elliot Robinson. Best Thank you so Ventures. much, John.
2: Still to come, signs that the SPAC market continues to dry up. Chamat Palahapatiya returning funds to shareholders. That's on the other side of a quick break.
3: We mentioned NVIDIA at the top of the hour. Jensen Wong making some comments at the company's conference, announcing some new products. Our Christina Partsenevalos has been monitoring and joins us with some highlights. Christina?
7: Well, Nvidia sticking with its gaming roots, its first announcement, a new graphics processor based on its new Lovelace architecture. So in simple terms, think of Lovelace architecture as the engine of a car and the graphics processor as the car. The processor can provide real-time rendering to create fully simulated worlds, which is what you're seeing on your screen right now, even down to the light refraction on a plane. Uh, and we have data center sales for NVIDIA that have shown size, signs of slowing in the second quarter. But NVIDIA also announcing its latest H100 graphics processor is in full production for data centers. And that's going to help with high-performance performing uh, performance computing. Once it's shipped, though, in a few weeks, its customers will include AWS, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, and Oracle as well. And so investors were worried about delays in this particular chip because it was being developed with Chinese partners and the United States, we know, is imposing export restrictions on AI chips to China. NVIDIA warning previously it could take a $400 million revenue hit this quarter alone. But there is another positive for this particular chip, reoccurring revenue, since a five-year NVIDIA license is required to use these particular servers, further ingraining NVIDIA into customers' operations. And there were some other product announcements, too. NVIDIA announcing its first software and infrastructure as a service offering. So this is a cloud product that would help companies build metaverse applications. For example, Lowe's can literally build a digital twin, a replica store, so that an employee that's in the store would just have to put an AR headset on, and then they could see whether the products or which products need to be put on the shelf. And then lastly, you've got Thor, which is a centralized car computer that can manage your Netflix viewing, your automated driving and parking. So it's all in one stop shop that can essentially save a lot of space in the car. NVIDIA's products, though, today demonstrating the emphasis is not only on the uh, hardware, but software as well. The stock, though, oh, look, it's starting to climb now. Uh, it was flat, but now up uh, three fourths of a percent, guys.
0: Christina, thanks for running us through all those announcements. As we had a break, reminder that CNBC is delivering alphas next week on September 28th. Scan the QR code on your screen to register. We're very excited to hear from investors like Orlando Bravo, Jim Chanos, just to name a few. Tech Check is back in a moment.
3: One more thing, uh, Chamath Palihapitiya liquidating two SPACs, returning about $1.5 billion to investors today, unable to secure an acquisition after reportedly analyzing more than 100 potential targets, laying the blame on valuations and the ongoing turbulence. Chamath bringing the total number of liquidated SPACs to 21 this year, according to SPAC research, after just one liquidation in 2021. Dee, definitely a sign of the times and just how different things are yeah. from 2021
0: just short of the alphabet, too, right? He wanted a SPAC for each letter. Um, you know, we know we've talked a lot about it, how the SPAC investor has fared, particularly if you were in some of the ones that Chamath sponsored, but he's made out okay. $750 million in SPACs, roughly doubling the money. That's his firm, John. Um, so
3: we'll see if there's any more to get done. Yeah, uh, big day tomorrow, tomorrow of course, Manages to make money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, S&P is about 20 points off the intraday lows. Let's get to the judge and the half.
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.
5: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive.